The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Oh, by the way, I don't know anything about anything, but let's, let's just go. Okay, again. that's good. Well, it looks like we're on the same page there. Good. We'll just that's find a way good. through. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Kia ora this is Gone by Lunchtime, my name is Toby Manai, with me today. Very, very happy to be able to introduce Annabelle Lee Mather, who's got a nasty cough, but it seems otherwise fine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Would you speak into the microphone? That's... I'm very... It's so technical. I know. I'm very well, Broadcasting is a mystery, isn't it? It's so hard. Ben Thomas, um, who is an evil spin doctor from <laughs> Exceltium. <laughs> Thanks for that coughing introduction. Hi, Ben. I've been up for a hundred years. I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't awake and it wasn't Wednesday morning. Ben drove someone to the airport this morning and therefore believes himself to be a martyr. And then I got up at 4.30am because I, you know, I, I promised to take the person to the airport and they were like, oh, it's an early flight. And I was like, no, no, don't worry. I, I'm a great guy. I will, you know, just let me know where to pick you up from. And it was like, piha. I, right. Yeah. So, and then afterwards, I had to go on TVNZ Breakfast and talk about the Peter Ellis case. Mm. Oh. Driving with Ben is like. I've heard about from a few people about driving with Ben. It's like like doing Don't heroin. Don't listen to Matt though. It's like that was a Duncan. And uh, like while I've, you're on the heroin, it's fun, yes. but you know that if you keep doing the heroin for long enough, it'll probably kill you. As I had it described to me, um, Ben. Uh, driving with Ben is like you're either moving, travelling fast or stopped and there is no in between like there is no gradual applying of the brake, it's just bang yeah, that's it's thrilling it's thrilling indecision kills on the road (coughs) it's no time to fuck around (coughs) Um, I I think like having the fact that you have multiple sources for this I think just demonstrates how extremely helpful I am. You yes. are. That yes, is that's so true. That's a lovely way that of putting so it. That's so true. Let's, very let's good focus on it. the positive yeah. here You're rather than the driver. numerous brushes with death. If that anybody may have needs a ride, hugely to the depleted the spin off in any like, city. Ranks. <laughs> just get in touch info at thespinoff.co.nz and we'll be able to set you up with Ben, who will be happy to pick you up anytime after four in the morning. Or you could find him on Uber. Also, um, Alice Webber-Dell is, is, is sitting in for Tina, who's doing something to do with Love Island, I think. She's filming Love Island. Um, hi, Alice. Um, and Welcome back, Alice. You wanted to say something about Love Island? 
No, I thought for a minute you were actually serious, and I was having I am a serious. little heart palpitation. I am serious. They're recording something. I don't know. It's, Do you mean um, she's in the program oh, no, or she's, she's doing something about No, no, no. no. Oh, but it's, it's um, which is a beautiful segue into The Real Pod, which um, I'm promoting right this moment and saying you can listen to it, um, along with others from our podcast table. Also, I'm going to say thank you very much to Flick Electric, who are our loyal supporters and sponsors and who um, are just generally excellent people, and you can click through to them from any any politics post to see what their offer is. There's one other thing. Can I just say, can I just say though, before you do, that they should rate and review those other podcasts, obviously, but just just don't rate them as high as Gone by Lunchtime. Oh yeah, rate us on the thing, on the... Rate us higher, higher. but rate others also, but not as high. High, but not as high. Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners are politically minded. Just get a little Machiavellian about it. We game it a little. Put out a request for themes, for theme tunes, for jingles, because I promised, and um, oh didn't have a great response. Really? Uh, not a not an overwhelming response. Oh, we didn't have any any response. <gasps> um, but I've done one. Oh, I um, <coughs> I've, even I've put one together. I put this together last night. Okay, here we go. Okay. Here we go. I've just got the volume on. I'm playing it on my phone in a janky fashion. Here we go. You can't govern unless you're certain. Shocking stuff! 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 Shocking into your brain. It's like an MRI scan yeah. of Toby's skull. I do like the wow. I put. I just used all the effects that I could find on the free downloadable software at the end there. Um, we'll play that again at the end, listeners. There's nothing about the three that. Three or four of you left. There's nothing about that that I don't love. Oh, thanks so much. Well um, done, you. God, you're talented. Um, so that's that's exciting. Almost exciting as Simon Bridges and the National Party's conference in Christchurch over the weekend, which you would have been glued to, Ben. I look. I forgot it was on, but it seemed very exciting from the media coverage that mm. I saw. That's all I've got. No, um, <laughs> a, I saw a video. There was a video of um, Simon Bridges with a very. Um, Soft, soft voice. Did you notice Ooh. that? It was very warm. A new voice. The, the tone of his that. voice. So the accent was the same, right? Mm. But it was it was a much warmer kind of sound. You know, there, there were like a kind delicious, of, rich timber, like an oaky kind of more mellifluous. Ca- ca- was it kind more of mellifluous? Take, moving away yes. from any kind of sort of, I, I would say more processed in the way that. Um, right. You know, kind of like when Pro Tools started being used like T-Pain. In, in albums. Like T-Pain. No, that's more like auto-tune. Oh. That would be, that's more like Toby's <laughs> um, theme. But <clears throat> it, it was sort of, there was no kind of aggression or sneer. It, it just seemed like a very kind of smooth, well-rounded, warm delivery. And I think it must have taken mm. about a million takes. It, it didn't sound like oh, his normal the, sort of speaking. Um, right. And I th- and I thought it was good, um, mm. but it, it must have been extremely rehearsed and, and produced. Like he sucked on a whole fistful of 
butterscotch as just, just to avoid saying you know slushies or you know any of those kind of ticks yeah. that sort of sometimes give him a kind of harsh aspect in his speaking and he he went through a kind of boilerplate of all of the things that the national government the future putative national government will mm. do mm. which will improve the lives of everyday new zealanders mm. and what they're really focusing on is economic growth doing well as for your family uh, and and lowering the costs that are being imposed on you for living by this this government it, but actually it was most of the things I, I watched that too and most of the uh, items on his shopping list were pretty much the same as a Labour Party would offer. I mean, they yeah, they slotted in bits of, bits about prudence and spending towards the end, but it was about properly funding the health system, a safety net for this. You know, it was yeah, but the o- the overall very... framework was we need a strong economy to mm. pay for a, a functioning health system, to pay for a social safety net, to pay for I, I, I forget, it, it, but it was you're right, it was the the traditional laundry list. Um, but what we're seeing is that National are hewing very closely to what they see as the formula that won Scott Morrison the election in mm-hmm. Australia, which mm-hmm. is focusing on living costs, on economic growth, and on you know opportunities. Yes, um, and defying gravity. The crucial point, did you see this, Annabelle, was did you see what the bottom line is for National? They've identified their bottom line. No. Do you know what it is? No. It's you. Oh, Yes. Touching, isn't hey, that sweet? To be at the forefront of their fakaro. Um Also, it's you, Ben. About time. Also, Alice, it's you. Yes. Listener, it's you. But not you fuckers that didn't send us a theme video. It's not a theme music. It's or not about you guys. Badly or yeah. hate listening at the moment. There's Just no place hate listening to this. There's no place in the New Zealand of the future for you. Mm. Um. Our bottom line has always been you, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Really? What else? Are you, are you talking to Annabelle or the listeners? You. Right, okay. <laughs> the, the major announcement of the conference, well, I suppose first thing to say is that the, the great success of the conference and the, that kind of awkward middle year, the year before... <coughs> um, the year before an election. I mean, I think it was that was the one. We've seen a few in those years of labour where the kind of... Um, oh, Annabelle, you all right? Mm. You need some butterscotches yourself. A little bit of pleurisy, you know, no, but it's no, fine. No, no, no <coughs> voice for you today. The key thing was that they didn't have backbiting. They didn't have journalists chasing people into lifts. Judith Collins was, you know, I don't think she appeared on a panel and, and didn't seem to be seizing any opportunity to be mischievous particularly i mean she's no there was no there was no grandstanding from any elements who looked to be trying to destabilize simon bridges that they, they presented the package of simon bridges as a stable leader of the national party um he he got off his new policy which is the new national pleurisy center funded directly by the government um but no, it's for cancer. It's for cancer, cancer, cancer. I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and you're right. It, it, it was a well-executed set-piece conference, um, which, which you know, I think shows that Bridges internally at least has the caucus and the party sort of behind him. Mm. Um, yeah, and, the, and, the, and that's kind of the proposition that it stands for, and I think that was borne out by the polls. Um 
by the, the TV One poll that came out well, uh, this week. Well, let's get to that in a sec, but first of all, the, the, the cancer agency that was the big policy announcement, um, and you expect a big policy, policy announcement at that year before conference, um, was a, I mean, it was quite a smart strategic play, really, wasn't it, in that it kind of goes to everyone has a relative and or friend who is, has been uh, absolutely hit by cancer and that's mm. a you know thing that everyone pretty well has a first-hand experience of that in some way. Um, but also it's a promise that that Labour had made and so it kind of it has that extra effect of pointing up in the year of delivery. Mm. Um, Labour have said that they've got announcements that they're planning on. Good, good, good policy announcement, Annabelle? Well, I think, you know, most people, and particularly, as you say, those who um, have been affected by cancer, you know, would welcome any kind of additional funding. Um, but we've done a couple of stories recently about um, access to, um, to treatment and medication, and it seems to me that... Really, if you're going to start to dig into um, the treatment of cancer, you really need to start with Pharmac and and um, and reviewing Pharmac. And apparently, that's something that's never been done in the history of Pharmac, which I think was set up around ninety-seven, ninety-eight, mm. um, over twenty years ago. Um, so, why you wouldn't take the opportunity to do that? You know, potentially when there's all sorts of savings and efficiencies that could be achieved. You're proposing well, a working why, group. Why not? Okay. You can chair it. Um, that's that's probably what Labour will announce in a few weeks or months. <coughs> um, so Pharmac is this world-leading model where basically they harness the power of a sole buyer. You know, you can own. You know, they're the they're the sole health sector buyer of drugs or subsidised drugs in New Zealand and they use that bulk purchasing power to bargain down drug companies who are pretty infamous for their inflated profiteering um, off, you know, people who are in need. Um, it's It's been an extremely successful model um, and that's the, the United States' number one goal in any trade negotiations with New Zealand is to break the Pharmac model. That's also the main goal of, and, and sorry, the other thing about it is that it's done independently of government. So you have a couple of hiccups sometimes. The national government sort of accidentally stumbled into promising to directly fund Herceptin, the breast cancer drug, for even longer than clinical trials showed was successful um, in the 2008 election. Um, that that sort of opened the door to more and more campaigns, usually paid for by drug companies, where they you know find a find a sufferer. Um, then start talking up the benefits of a possibly experimental treatment. They go on, you know, Campbell Live, the 7 p.m. shows, and suddenly there's a groundswell saying, you know, we actually have this uncaring system that doesn't, you know, fund cancer drugs well enough. Um, but it, it, these things are PR plays from the big pharma companies. Separate to that, there's an issue of, you know, are we doing enough to detect cancers? Uh, you know, do, do we have the processes in place, which has been the sort of subject of, um, you know, are people seeing help, you know, urgently enough as opposed to are they getting the right drugs? And that's that's been the subject of, you know, that petition that got 135,000 signatures. Um, on the other hand, I, the national policy sounds like something you just made up. 
you know, you just say $200 million sounds like a lot of mm. money. Um, it's, it's pretty similar to what was in the Labour manifesto at the last election, I think, isn't it? I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 which also sounds like probably a made-up thing. It's a kind of you know we've got we've got a conference in a month. Yeah. What do you got around the table? So and that one ticks the boxes. It's a right? stake in the ground. The thing about Farmaca is that there are some serious issues, and when you compare it to the net, the you know the the British equivalent, um, which um, is usually able to assess and fund drugs. Literally within a matter of months, we have drugs that have been proven internationally to have significant a significant impact on um, extending the lives of cancer sufferers that have been sitting on Pharmax kind of waiting lists for years and years and years and years, um, not getting funded while people of all um, races, ages and the like um, continue to die. So there does need to be um, some scrutiny over why those processes are taking so long and what could be done to improve them. Another um, interesting take that I heard was actually from Tuariki Delamere, forgive me if I've already told you this story, but he was, um, I think, the Associate Minister of Health when Pharmac was established, and his Mm. take on it is that one of the issues we have is we spend money doing our own testing of these drugs to see how effective they are, which he thinks is a waste of money if France, if Canada, if Australia, if America, if their agencies have already approved many of the, these drugs and their testing is probably more sophisticated than ours, why would we then spend money testing again when that's money that could be used for purchasing so food for thought I don't know you know how that side of it works but it's gone by lunchtime Um, (laughs) um, moving on to the poll the um it was a bit of a non-poll, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was very it, it, similar to the last Colmar Brunton. Very similar to the last Colmar Brunton, and there was a, a lot of excitement about their new emerging uh, figure on the preferred prime minister, who turned out to be the blazing the blazing comet in the night sky, Christopher Luxon, lighting up they call the political the, they, landscape they of, call the comet, of New Zealand. The, the um, like an atomic flash, the Apple comet, and one percent. One percent, which is up from zero, was, though, which is meteoric, which I think is rounded up from sort of probably about half percent. So it probably means about forty-five people or something <laughs> who who went. What's the name of that guy? The one that was in the paper, the new John Key, the new John Key. Yes, um, but otherwise it was pretty much it was it was six six percent, I think, each for Bridges and Collins. Yeah, good news for Bridges in the sense that he didn't fall behind. Yes, so you know he's still. Equally, you know, that that would have been pretty catastrophic. Well, not catastrophic. It would have been a bit embarrassing, you know, had he fallen behind. But it shows that, you know, the momentum behind public uh, doubts about mm. him, you know, has, has at least plateaued. And the, well, and the, the party vote is staying solid, right? You know, so it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty I haven't actually read the last part. This is all a very exciting news to me. Okay. Well, what's happened is that the new <clears throat> Conservatives have surged to 12%. Annabelle. Did you see that coming? No. Yeah. Are you serious? No. Oh. <laughs> you had me excited, Toby. Um, <clears throat> no. The 
Uh, is there anything more to say about about the? I mean, it's sort of we we shouldn't we get so few polls that we get ridiculously excited about them. Do we have so up. few? It feels like we had a poll like five couple, minutes couple ago. Of months we, ago. Have, we have we have pretty few, which which is in some ways yeah. a bad thing, in some ways a good thing. I mean, the Australians just feast on their on their Monday morning polls, don't they? What what it did do is make clear how national can get back in, if at all. Which in the next election, which is New Zealand first either has to come over to national or New Zealand first has to leave Parliament. And that's going to be the crucial decision that Simon Bridges will have to make in the next year is, is he going to court New Zealand first and try and bring them over? Because if you look at the New Zealand first caucus, the majority of them would probably be more comfortable with a national government than Labour, you know, in terms of their natural inclinations. Um leaving aside Winston Peters' uh, chaotic sort of preferences? Or is Bridges going to try and emulate John Key in 2008, rule them out and drive them out of Parliament? Maybe, hopefully, forever. I mean, you know, touch wood. Um, But then that comes with a calculated risk, because if you do that and they get back, then there is no chance of striking a deal with them. Um, if, if they are out and if they take 3 or 4% of the vote as per that poll, it suddenly becomes much closer. Now, to, to assure a national victory, they have to be ahead of Labour and the Greens have to be gone as well. There doesn't seem to be any sign that the Greens can drop below 5% for any extended period of time. Um, so there's still a lot of challenges there. Did you say chaotic? Is that like... I mean, I, I tried. That's national without Is key. that like John Key? When is once like, Key's gone, it's chaotic. Quixotic. Is it chaotic? Is it qu- is that I, that, I, thought, I thought it was maybe, but probably not. I don't know. Probably learned it from reading. Well, that's a, I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Probably going to be bullied like, bullied like a weird homeschool child now. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> were you homeschooled? No. Because um, it's... it's Quixote, right? But as I've always oh. thought it was quixotic, but I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm thrown I'm, now into Now I have no idea what we're doubt. talking about. I thought he said chaotic, like chaotic John, John. balls up, but... But with John Key, Key But it. with John Key, like it describes an absence like, of John Key. Like, like a Max Key video. Chaotic. He said yeah. so many a chaotic party. after that yeah. word, but I wasn't <laughs> listening to any of them. I was just going, what is the quixotic? I don't know. Um, I'll play the theme again. I can't get the theme again. Duh, duh, duh. <coughs> the um, um, leader of the opposition, Simon Bridges, we were talking about then came up this morning. We're on speaking today on Tuesday, the 31st of July. Is that right? It's not August yet, is it? Um, this is going it's well. The longest day of the year. Well, which began at 4.30 a.m. I have been up as hero of the people. Forever. The ch- direct descendant of Jesus Christ, Ben Thomas, drove to Piha to take someone to the airport. And while that was happening, Simon Bridges was appearing and describing Jacinda Ardern as a part-time Prime Minister, which is an interesting call. Did you hear that, Annabelle? Did you hear any of this part-time Prime Minister? No, I didn't. Is that just like a low-key misogynist kind of thing about, you know, if you're a woman and you're a... That's what I was and you're a mother you. yeah. and you're parenting and politicking, then you can only be doing it part time. Is that because she went to Tokyo? Yes, yes. Right. It was an it was an interesting. Are the people whose like island is going under the water because yes. of like 
carbon emissions yes. and climate change and we're supposed to be helping who are, who are a protector of New Zealand who keep voting to remain yeah. a, prote- a protectorate yeah. of New Zealand and not go yeah. independent those guys he had it was a kind right. of curious argument because what he was That's right, much more loyal than the South Island was that uh, while Iwamato was going on this big deal it was a big deal going on so it was a very strange time for her to leave but also when asked what she should be doing about it, his response was nothing. So it was a curious argument, didn't you, didn't you think, Ben Thomas? I think it was – look, the argument – you don't pay attention to the argument. You, you pay don't atten- pay attention. The, the public are paying attention to the slogan. It's quite a good slogan. Um, part-time prime minister at the same the same day that it's announced that she's you know going to be on the cover of Vogue – going to be in Vogue magazine, edited by Meghan Markle. Mm. So it Has it, he got the feels because he only gets Women's Day and she gets Vogue? <laughs> again, Vogue again. I mean, she's... I know. When, when will GQ or Esquire come calling? Does FHM still exist? Loaded. Maxim. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... the um, it's not a bad line because, you know, there is part of the electorate that thinks that the Prime Minister is part of celebrity culture, not political culture. Um, and if you, you know, if, if you did happen to watch the video um, promoting the Vogue uh, issue, you know, she was saying, I've noticed that politics is becoming a lot more polarised, but I think we can all solve it with our common humanity. I mean, this is pretty much Oprah stuff, right? And it's, it's, Reasonable, you know, National have tried a bunch of times with those Women's Day covers with the previous Vogue appearance to kind of make her out to be a celebrity MP in the same way that Labour tried to portray John Key as this kind of glad-handing, what was it, smile and wave and not a serious politician. So this David kind of... David Letterman appearing. Da- oh, my yeah. oh God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't, don't talk about it. Um, the... And and so, you know, I, I don't think it's unreasonable that uh, yeah, Tokelau is a red herring. Well, Obviously, I, I she's not think, going though, there. That that while it is politics as usual, it's different with her because she is a woman with a baby, and I think it's tone deaf, and they need to be a little bit more sophisticated around those sorts of criticisms because otherwise, in the ears of most women. Most working mothers who already feel guilty enough as it is, it, it feels like an attack on you're either, a, you know, you're either dedicated to your work and a shit mother or you're dedicated to your child and you're shit at your career. So I, I just think it lacks sophistication myself. Yeah, I mean, look, you can always prior, you can always accuse politicians of prioritising their international engagements over domestic politics because they almost always will. John Key would never have stayed and done anything in New Zealand if there was an opportunity to go and hang out with the Queen. Um, and in the same way, Jacinda Ardern will, you know, go to, you know, the, the Christchurch call, the, the, in any kind of meeting of international leaders because, you know, it's, it's good coverage, it's good press. Mm. But you can be called out if, if it's felt that you're not paying attention to issues at home. In this case, it doesn't make any sense at all because the Iamato, um issue kind of flared up on Thursday and Tokelau had been booked for months you know, I mean, it's it just doesn't make sense. You wouldn't call it off because you're not sure what's going to happen at a protest that technically is actually nothing to do with the government in a legal sense. Mm. It's also not, I think it's probably fair to say that a trip to Tokelau is not exactly a kind of um, luxurious cocktail-laden 
resort-based Pacific tour. And Especially if you refuse to be carried 20, on in the litter. 24 hours, like Jacinda on a, did. 24 hours on a frigate. She actually said she's not the queen. No, she? she had to walk her, yeah, walk herself onto um, but, the atoll. But she had to spend 24 hours on a frigate, I think, as yeah. well, which is, and she does get seasick. It's just a fact. Um, oh, God, really? Um, That's yeah. terrible. Mm. Um, you wouldn't get bad seasickness on a frigate, though, surely, because, I mean, they're a pretty decent size. Any, I digress. Sorry. Well, I, I mean, I've got my safe boating certificate, Annabelle, so I can explain to you it depends on the conditions on the water. Mm. Hmm? Okay. Um, the Let's now move on to fix the situation at Ihumatau. Um That was one of – we touched on that. That was one of the criticisms um, built into Bridges – statement. Jacinda Ardern went out uh, to, well she didn't go to the site at all she went, she gave a press conference on Friday evening uh, near Auckland Airport, rather hastily arranged um, The we're talking of course about the site um, Mangere in South Auckland, it's been um, well it's been a disputed piece of land for um, 163 160 years. 160 something <clears throat> years. Um, and that like pre, like, yeah, but probably before that too probably in before terms that, of um, probably before that. the Isthmus being a very popular place. Yes. And Auckland has always been the centre of activity in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's great. Is, is that is that, is that are you working for a client when you say that, or is that <laughs> AT? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Auckland Tourism Board. Um, <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs> references going back 175 years, and the I mean the, the 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 site ended up being bought by the Wallace family, who then ended up selling it to. Was it bought by the Wallace family? No, it was confiscated in 1863. Sorry, I might yeah. have had my dates wrong before. So it was confiscated in 1863. Yeah, when on, the local, on the way to invade the Waikato. Yeah, yep, the right start of the wars. That they were falsely accused of, um, you know. Getting ready to rebel and lead a, yep. you know, like side with the Kingi Tanga, and so their lands got confiscated. Every waka around the Manuko Harbour got smashed to smithereens, and then I understand the land was given to the Wallace family. Is it right, Ben? It would have either been given or sold for a pretty yeah, nominal yeah, sort yeah. of and then held with held in the whanau of their family for ages, ages and ages and ages. Yeah. Then they wanted to, the, the woman who inherited it wanted to sell it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I think that Iwi tried to get the money together, but I'm not sure if they had enough. But she didn't want to sell. My understanding is she didn't want to sell to the Iwi anyway because if it was sold as a, as a rural block, it would be worth a lot less than if it was rezoned yeah. and it could then be used... You know, to yep. to build housing on, which then ramped up. They the, lobbied to have it rezoned. Yeah. Um, ultimately, successfully, because it became an SHA, which the Auckland Council approved, which was part of a. Yeah, but it was it was because of an environment court decision, right? Which had it zoned as suitable for housing. Then uh, Nick Smith signed it off as one of the government's special housing areas. Whenever you find a clusterfuck in New Zealand politics that involves Maori issues. Two, two or three steps and you will find Nick Smith. <laughs> hey, but you know who else voted to support that? Was the Māori Statutory Board established by mm. the Māori Party and uh-huh. Government, which uh-huh. I think is um, 
a forgotten player in all of this if we're apportioning blame out. Yeah, it's a not. I mean, I can recommend to people a, a piece that appeared on the spinoff on Saturday by Vincent O'Malley, which kind of tracks the the history of a lot of this. It's it's pretty extraordinary, um, and then that's obviously just a very surface take on all that history, and then. The um, Alice Webb Nadell, who's with with us now, but doesn't have a microphone, has been out to Humata a few times over over the months. For the last how long, Alice? Last couple of years? Has there been? Have there? Have there been? Is this thing on? Yes. Oh, this is. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Um, I think it's three or four years. Three almost or four, four years, years right. that the five cousins have kind of been occupying the land on and off and kind of working towards this. The was it Kentucky thing. Village. Yeah, Kaitiaki Village. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's pr- for the most part, gone under the radar. I mean, it's been <coughs> covered by um, uh, some of us a bit, but it hasn't ever kind of hit the mainstream headlines. And then last I Tuesday? I think there's actually been, I think, um, to me, I think part of the reason this has been, you know, what you might consider quite a successful campaign is because actually they've been very savvy mm. with the media. You know, they've really harnessed the power of social media. And if you look back, yep. there's actually been quite a lot of articles written even mm. predating this current um, standoff, yeah. you know, about the soul movement. There's, there's been long features in uh, New Zealand Geographic and <coughs> Herald and uh, Simon yeah. Wilson's written a lot about Radio it. Radio New Zealand, yeah. yeah. I guess, um, I guess, I guess, I mean, for Sunday did a big piece on it a few years ago. It's not the ago, sort of thing so. that's been six o'clock news, I guess, is, 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 is what I'm saying. Not six o'clock news, but Sunday and those ones have all covered it. The Herald, um, Simon Wilson, and that. So there's been there's been a bit of coverage over the last few years about it. Fair, 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 fair. Uh, the other issue too, I'm not oh. sure if um, Vincent talked about this, but just an interesting sidebar issue is that, you know, the argument's been made that under the current settlement structure, under the current laws, private land can't be used um, to settle treaty claims. Interestingly, mm. back in the day, mm. you could, but um, I don't know if you guys are aware of the Alan Titford case. He was jailed a few years ago for um, horrific domestic abuse and during the course of that case it came out that um, he's a guy who in the 80s accused Te Rorua of um, committing arson on his home and harassing him and his family and and People were so outraged at the time, including David Longy, they changed the law so that private land couldn't be used in settlements. So, I mean, in terms of layers of injustice, mm-hmm. his, during the court case, his wife came out and said, actually, the Iwi didn't burn down our house. Uh, he burnt it down. So, Yeah, El- Ellen Titford is well, basically a human monster, mm-hmm. also one of these... Um, fantasist, racist, you know, Celtic New Zealand conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, generally terrible person. Um, he's in prison at the moment. He's in prison at the yeah. moment for some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and But what, in terms of using private, I mean, there was no treaty settlement process back in the late 80s. Um, mm. And it was done on a very ad hoc basis mm. in response to Waitangi Tribunal reports. Waitangi Tribunal reports, uh, they would investigate historical breaches, do a report, and then they would make recommendations about ways that this could be done. The recommendations aren't binding. Often they're not accepted because they're things like transfer ownership of all petroleum in the country to Taranaki Māori, 
and the government will tend not to do that. Um, they'll say we're considering options to fulfil the intent of this recommendation, right? And it, it would have always been very difficult once the historical treaty settlement process kind of started in the mid, mid to late 90s to include private land and settlements because, well, you, you, you know, in terms of it, it's hard to rectify one injustice by creating another injustice, which would be taking people's land off them, right? You could buy land, and that can still be done in current treaty settlements if there's a willing seller, willing buyer situation. But the, the law change was that the Waitangi Tribunal could no longer recommend the return of private mm-hmm. land. Um, although, actually, the Waitangi Tribunal does still have a residual power to order the return of land that used to be part of the state-owned enterprise portfolio. It's called... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, memorialised land mm. and while the memorials remain on these titles and they're all up and down New Zealand technically the Waitangi Tribunal can order that they are just directly returned to Iwi Why Hamato <coughs> is so <coughs> difficult is it's hard to get a fix on the problem that the government is expected to solve so for instance it is confiscated land it's 32 hectares uh, 32 hectares out of 3.4 million acres of confiscated land from the New Zealand wars. So it's about one forty thousandth of the of the land that was confiscated during that conflict. So if you if you were to use the justification that it's confiscated land and should be returned on that basis or bought on that basis and handed over in terms of governance let's say it's a million dollars, well, the total cost of that will then be about $40 trillion if you wanted to do the same thing to every piece of land. Um, There's been this argument, you know, it's sacred land. Well, you know, you know better than me, but to Tangata Whenua, all land is sacred. You know, it's it, most of it is not Wahitapu area. It's, you know, it was well, farms, what, what, it was what gardens. What they say is that all land, there's a saying... Rero whenua, atu hoki whenua, mai, any land that's taken should be returned. So um, they say, well, you know, what both sides actually said the other day is any land that's confiscated is considered wahitapu in terms of how many wahitapu relating to burials and stuff on the land is is, um, unclear. But what we do know about it is that it is part of a very special unique cultural historical landscape um, with the Otua Taua um, stone fields a little bit further down the road. So um, so there is a, a, a specialness to this place that, um, that makes it, you know, an outstanding feature. And it's kind of an example of where all the levers seem to have failed a bit because... You would think that, you know, the Environment Court, the Māori Land Court, the Council, the Māori Statutory Board, at some point someone, you know, the Historic Places Trust would have recognised that it, um, that it does have special value and yeah. while it may not be the most tapu part of the land or the, the most archaeological significant part of the land, it is part of a of a wider landscape. So I I understand why, you know, Mm. you can recognise why there's um, people are particularly protective of this this block. Yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of the problems this causes for the government, and so I'm not, Mm. not, you know, I wouldn't presume obviously to speak for 
you know, the importance of the land to the iwi, the importance of the land to New Zealand as a whole. I don't know enough about that stuff. But in terms of the bind the government is in, uh, if, as some people, including Hone Harawira, have suggested, you were to buy the land and give it back to iwi, um, well, first mm. of all, one of the iwi, well, most of the iwi with connections to this land that are acknowledged in legislation or deeds of settlement, which is uh, Te Akitai, um, Waikato Tainui, and uh, Te Kawaroa Maki, <coughs> would probably want to put houses on it. <laughs> So that's, you know, that's probably not a starter anyway. But in any case, you know, where it would become a real problem for the historical treaty settlement process is that suddenly injecting, you know, an extra, say, $5 million or, or whatever it costs to buy this land, some people have talked about $30 million, that would be this extraneous injection of funds and settlement money into, you know, what's been a very finely balanced process. There's about two dozen iwi on the Auckland Dismiss. And they've all had to make compromises and give and take in terms of the land that's available for their settlements and the relativities, you know, available. And and in terms of getting all of those groups into a situation where they're reasonably happy with what they've negotiated compared with their historical neighbours, um, you know, has taken you know a lot of work by the iwi themselves and. You know, you would be opening the whole thing up again, and people would be saying, "Well, why? Why is there suddenly ten million more dollars for Takawa Amaki? So, some people have suggested that the way around this is you acknowledge the special character to all of New Zealand, actually, part of mm. Newton of Seoul. This is the substance of their submission to Parliament. Seoul being the group that are <coughs> sa- saving, organising, the the protecting. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And they've they've suggested you make it a historical reserve because of its outstanding importance to all New Zealand. That sounds like a great compromise if the government can find the money and thinks that it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's sort of happy. Fletchers are happy to be bought out. The problem is that Takawa and Maki have struck a, a private deal with Fletchers which is the return of eight hectares um, on which there's going to be a visitor centre, the preservation of the lava caves, and and they've also uh, secured 40 houses um, to be bought on a rent-to-own. Rent yeah, yeah. In, in the in the <clears throat> final development. Now, and, because and, that's... And a, reduced the footprint of the development that's right. from uh, 520 houses to... 480. Yeah, and so there's been a suggestion by some people that Te Kawaroa Maki um, and Te Warana Tower, the tower, um, the, the chairman, chair, yeah. you know, um, somehow you know, sort of sold out mm. the members of the, the, the iwi and the whanau, you know, represented by Seoul. It's, I mean, you, you would sort of argue that he didn't really sell anyone out because they didn't actually have any bargaining chips at that mm. point. Mm. That was a negotiation from nothing. To Kawaro Amaki, the tribal authority could not have stopped the development had they wanted to. Mm. They, didn't have, they didn't have anything that they gave away in terms and of that negotiation. And indeed, they'd actually fought the development through the environment court, I yeah. think, over about a three-year period. And, mm. and, and so... So Te Amaki, from nothing, having you know had very few bargaining chips to play with, have gotten what some would say was a good outcome. You know, you'd say in absolute terms it's a good outcome, um, even if it's not the most desirable for everyone involved. And if the government were to come and make a deal with Fletchers to create a historic reserve, well, the government doesn't have any 
deal with Takawaro Amaki. Only Fletcher's does. So you'd have to be so so Takawaro Amaki lose out on what they've negotiated unless Fletcher's decides to compensate for them for that. But Fletcher's would say, well, we didn't get anything in return for this. And so it's a very fraught situation and it's not it's not as easy as a lot of people sort of talking in the media seem to think it is. Uh, I have to say I agree, Ben, and um, partic- particularly just in terms of the deal that, um, ab- about the way the deal that, Tekawero Amaki have been able to negotiate as being um, as being presented in the in the media um, by critics of it, which is that you know they've sold out for crumbs and you know it's not good enough. And I would, uh, you know, having spoken to a, f- a few people that kind of work in that space of you know negotiating these types of of deals where you know big corporates want to come in and build on contested land. They've, the feedback I've had is actually it's a, a quite a remarkable deal and that it would take someone with no whakama, no shame, to be able to ask for so much. And in fact, um, you know, if you look at the 40 house reduction, you know, if you were to say they, those houses were worth half a million each, that's, you know, 20 million that's been cut down from Fletcher's right there as well as the return of the eight hectares. So I think um, while, um, you know, uh, Te Wairena can come across as quite a bombastic character and and um, and people don't like the way he has um, um, dealt with uh, the, the, the soul um, group and others, I think to say that um, it's a completely shit deal and it's crumbs is probably a, a, a not an accurate reflection of of the deal that um that actually it's it, for someone as you say that didn't really have a whole lot of um leverage at the table it's it's um it's a reasonable and I also understand why for a lot of others it's not good enough and they want a, a much better deal than that but I think um it's a you know, for the people who are attacking him on Facebook over it, that um, that it's not quite as um, it shouldn't be. You know, mm. you can't thumb your nose at it. Actually, the lay of the land has changed, though, hasn't it? Since that deal was struck, and when you talk about leverage, <coughs> the difference in leverage now is that you've got this extraordinary movement mm, that has grown right. over the course of the last eight days, and you have. Notwithstanding all the points that you make, Ben, about the kind of precedent setting and the, irrespective of all of that, the the what has, it's become a lightning rod for something much bigger, right? The, the momentum has really built around it, yeah. Yeah, and so there's a real sense of it taking on a kind of bigger, uh, more 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 kind of gravity as a moment, as a groundswell. And it's just, it'd be, I mean, what comes out of this? Do you, I mean, some people have suggested there's a generational shift, um, which in some ways is, you know, there's, 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 Joe Hawke is there from Bastion Point. Mm. He's no he's no spring chicken. And Moana Jackson has been there as well and various other people. Yeah, who, there's, uh, there's old people within the iwi that are supporting Seoul and the occupation and there's young people on the other side of the iwi who are, Supporting Te Wairena, so it's not quite as clean cut as a as an old people versus the young people. But one thing I would say about this is that you know at the end of the day, um, 
this iwi is an iwi and you know when the next tangi happens they're all going to have to get together in the same marae and bury their dead and stuff so in terms of some of the commentary on on you know facebook attacking both sides i think um people just need to be aware that these are um long-lasting relationships that this iwi have to maintain with one another and um and to um just be mindful about you know people's um it all around this what do you think if you were asked to advise the government or the Prime Minister on how to what to deal when she returns with her seasick, I think it was a misstep for her not to go out there. Not and to to, I think yeah. that was a real misstep. You know, she's very popular in Māori communities, and she knows that kanohi kite kanohi is a really important thing for for Māori. Um, so I think it was a misstep, and it's one that she needs to to remedy. I do have a certain level of, um, uh, I'm not sure if sympathy is the right word, but you know, I recognise that this is an issue that hasn't been created solely by labour. Um, you know, that the, the um, decision to make it a special housing area and and all of that happened under the previous government. This is not like foreshore and seabed where Helen Clark inserted herself in the middle of a judicial process and blocked the path for Māori to go to court. This is about a, you know, shitty work by the council, shitty decisions by the environment court, um, shitty town planning and all the rest of it and and you know, uh, the Prime Minister and Labour's Māori MPs are kind of having to to figure out how, how to solve um, this puzzle. So, but you know, they're going to have, but that's why you get paid the big bucks and they're going to have to step up, they're going to have to be innovative and, and, and figure a way through this because to not do anything will not be good enough. Um, too many people are, are you know, too, too many people have gathered together um, and unified over this issue and um, you, she will be judged by Māori on how she handles this. It, it's, um, it could be her foreshore and seabed if she doesn't handle it properly. So um, they, they need to really pull a rabbit out of the hat and they have all the levers of government and power to do it. So I'm sure, if there's a will, they can um, they can come up with um, hopefully a decision that um, that all sides of um, the iwi and mana whenua and tangata whenua can can um, come to terms with or agree to. Thank you, Annabelle. I think that's um, a really good place to leave it. Um, thank you Annabelle Lee-Matha, thank you Ben Thomas, thank you Alice Webb-Liddell. Um, the only thing that's left to say is that the most important person for this podcast is you. You can't govern unless you're certain. Shocking stuff! Shocking stuff! Shocking stuff! Shocking stuff!
Talo for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.